and particularly South Asian women are always encouraged never to put ourselves first. It's always looking after other people. It's ingrained in you. You know, it's when you're little and you're a little girl and you're asked to take in the water to guests as a little girl. They never ask the they never ask the men. They never ask the boys. It's usually the girls. So that's the first, that's all my first memories are, are that. You know, I'd be the one who'd take the glasses of water in a little tray when we have guests. Um, and it, it's that. It's the fact that as South Asian women, we put ourselves last before everyone else. Hi, friends, and welcome to the Another Mother Story podcast. And we are your hosts, Dr. Tina Mystery and Dr. Pooja Patel. We are both psychologists and we're interested in what it means to be a South Asian mother today. This podcast is all about the experiences, the highs and lows of South Asian mothers and women. So join us as we challenge and interweave our beautiful culture into modern day motherhood. All right. Well, welcome everybody back to this episode of Another Mother Story. And I am your host. I'm Dr. Tina Mystery, clinical psychologist, also known as a brown psychologist. And with me, I have... Hi, uh, I am Pooja Patel. I'm a health psychologist and the co-founder of Another Mother's Story. Awesome. So tell us about our guest then that we have, Pooja. Yes, so we're so excited to, uh, today to have Saz Vora with us. So uh, just do a little introduction. So Saz was born in East Africa and migrated with her family to, the Eng- uh, to England in the 60s. So she's uh, based in Coventry. Um, where she kind of grew up straddling the British and Gujarati Indian culture. Um, She has written two books um, and is compiling her next one. Um, And these are called My Heart Sings Your Song and Where Have We Come, uh, which is a story in two parts about love, loss and family. Um, And the second book um, in the series is based on true events that have shaped her outlook on life's trials and tribulations. Um, so My Heart Sings Your Songs so, uh, shows the life of East African Asians, which is super interesting, um, and takes you to the world of crazy rich Asians. Um, uh, and Where Have We Come looks at the cultural clashes experienced by young British Asians and reflects the tone um, set in Me Before You. Oh, wow. Um, So before she started writing, um, Saz had a successful career in television production, um, teaching, um, but her need to write stories has led to what she's doing now, um, writing stories that are so relevant to us um, about people in multicultural Britain. So welcome, Saz. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for having me, Tina and Pooja. It's, um, It's great to be able to come and talk to you about why I started my writing journey. Yeah, and that's exactly, you know, why we felt that you were a great person to speak to us simply because, as everybody knows, um, Another Mother Story platform is about writing. It's about an expression. It's a platform where we want to dedicate a space for South Asian women to explore what motherhood means. Now, Mm -hmm. you have written two books where you have touched on various issues of the South Asian experience, and you've got a particular outlook in terms of your 
experience as somebody who lived through the I think it was through the 80s and 90s and time was times were really different back then and that's something that I think you're really passionate about sharing with people that we've come a long way but we've still got much work to do and I think for me one of the things that I really appreciate is the fact that you have started to talk about these issues but from somebody who has had that lived experience of the 80s and 90s and that's really powerful because mm. we forget that there are women before us before we started raising our voices who have been through the same thing or have been through similar things so our first question really to open up this discussion is around your experience of loss and that's something that you talk about a lot really could you tell us a little bit about loss and how that has touched your life um one of the reasons why i wrote this particular um set of books is because um i well we lost our son um quite a long time ago um and it was it was the 90s but um what happened was great we had a disabled child um he had a brain hemorrhage so then you're in that situation where you actually don't know whether he's going to survive for a long period of time or not because doctors don't know brain the brain is an amazing thing people can have brain damage and still function really well so we were left in that situation where we didn't quite know what was going on so we had to deal with the fact that we have we may have a disabled child um that we were going to have to look after for the rest of his life uh, however however long it was going to be but also we also had the additional and this is something that we have in our south asian culture regardless of whether you're one religion or another there's always this thing about um past lives what we've done so far the sins of the mother the sins of the father all of those things that come along to kind of to some extent they help because you find a routine that you do that you think well if i do this i know he or she will get better mm -hmm. but then there's also some people that use it as a stick. So the grief for me was the fact that I thought I was going to have a very healthy, because my pregnancy was full on, straight up, nothing happened. What happened was that, you know, when you have a healthy pregnancy, everything is fine. And then for mm -hmm. me, the grief was suddenly, you know how you I imagined I was going to have this amazingly healthy baby, everything was going to be fine, just like all of my um, family had, some of my friends had. Um, mm. I started to grieve probably as soon as we discovered that he wasn't going to be here for very long. My husband took a little bit longer. Um, and I, although I'm a very optimistic, it was, it was, something that I thought, do you know what, this is not going to last for very long, I've got to really accept it. However, that happened and then I had postnatal depression. I started crying for no reason at all. So all of that grief just became kind of buried because then we, it was like, okay, they took him off the life support machine. He started breathing on his own. So we got so used to at take, switching him off at 10 days and then he started breathing on his own. Then we had a few days to learn about how to look after him. What were we going to do? Should we send him 
leave him in the hospital, come and visit, should we take him home? So we did that. We, deci- we decided between us that we would definitely bring him home because that was what we wanted to do. And then um, it is just, if you read my book, it is just the cycle of having to do things like looking after a baby, everything else that happens all around it. You have visitors that come to visit you, to support you. And some of you, some people are very supportive. Some people aren't as supportive. And when he passed away, I was told to be brave be brave because if you're not brave and you keep, if you keep crying which is what you're doing at this moment in time at every other other conversation your husband is not going to be able to cope look at him look at him he needs to be you know he needs to be supported be brave and that was the thing that I did I I did become brave I buried every time I felt I needed to cry I thought no I can't I can't because I need to be brave um and then <laughs> A long time ago, in 2006, my father uh, was diagnosed with bone cancer and it all came back. The whole, all of the memories, all of the, and it was probably about the same time period, about in February, it was my dad's birthday and we were a bit, I was a bit surprised because normally on my dad's birthday, he rings me to say, you know, it's my birthday today. And uh, he didn't. So then I rang and then my mum picked the phone up, but didn't say anything. And then we discovered he'd been put, he was in hospital. So I think all of that just got to the point where I started grieving. And I'd also joined a creative writing class. So that's when I wrote, I wrote what is now known as Where Have We Come? Um, That was a book. It was just, just almost like an outpouring of my emotions, what I was going through the grief I was going through, not only the grief of the child that we lost, but the grief that my dad wasn't going to be here for very long, all kind of encapsulated in that story. And then in 2017, 18, I had a major panic attack. And that was, again, it's burying that grief, not dealing with it not having to do, you know, process it, not having the time. Because then suddenly you've got yourself in that situation where um, I already had two, I, after Jedlin passed away, we had two little boys. So you're in, on that treadmill again, aren't you? As a mother, you kind of, you go to work and you come home and you look after kids and you do the shopping and you do the cooking and you do the laundry. All of that sort of um, takes you away from yourself. And we as women... And particularly South Asian women are always encouraged never to put ourselves first. It's always looking after other people. It's ingrained in you. You know, it's when you're little and you're a little girl and you're asked to take in the water to guests as a little girl. They never ask the they never ask the men. They never ask the boys. It's usually the girls. So that's the first, some of my first memories are, are that, you know, I'd be the one who'd take the glasses of water in a little tray when we have guests. Um, and it, it's that. It's the fact that as South Asian women, we put ourselves last before everyone else. And so that's how my um, grief story started. It is cyclical. I go through it over and over again every year. I go through the same process that I went through Um, because he was born in January he passed away in March not a very long time but all any anything and everything that's weather related 
and I'm very much one of those people that feels the weather brings back those memories over and over again. So yeah, that's that's my story of grief. But the reason why I wrote it was because I was fed up of hearing other women from our culture, our background, saying the same thing that nobody actually listens to them. And I just thought, you know, if I write a book, I don't want to write a self-help book. Or this is look how I've I've managed to go through this because I don't think I have managed. I'm still going through it. But I wanted to write a story so that people could maybe relate to bits of it because not everybody's experience is going to be the same. And so that's why that's why I thought, you know what, I'm going to write it. And I self-published just for that reason. It's really powerful, the things that you're touching on. And, you know, you address culture and how in many ways that creates these specific sort of, I don't know, ritualistic um, dimensions to it. And in many ways you touched on how, you know, the the messages of how we handle grief became quite, um, they stopped you. They stopped you from allowing you to just be and feel through the grief. They almost create that little kind of blockage in many ways. So you, you just pushed it all down. And that's often what we do see um, for people who have experienced grief, that when we swallow it and then something happens again, it, it comes back up because actually our bodies need to process um, what we've experienced, what what whatever is good, bad. We have to feel it in order to to to, to try and move through it. Um, the other thing is that when you have a child, I think because our mothers more than and our grandmothers have gone through that process because they all mm. grew up in um, India in villages. Um, and and you know we're talking about a different time frame where maternal health and child um, mobility wasn't as good as it is now. That so many of our mothers lost their babies. So one of the things that was really very interesting was, as a Hindu, I believe that um, when he had passed away, that we should have prayers because I. You know, I've been to other people's houses when somebody's passed away and they've had prayers. I was told that it wasn't really something that we did for babies because mm. you mm. just don't. And I was almost taken aback by it. But then I actually said, no, I'm having these. I'm having prayers because he was here and he is a soul. So therefore, it, I'm going to have them, you know, whether you want to come or not. Um, I will, and that's what I did. I actually did 10 days, well, 11 days of prayers we did um, Mm. after him that you wouldn't necessarily have for babies. Very few people Mm. did. Um, But it was something that I, as I said, it was something I wanted to do because I think that helped, at least helped me process. And even that one hour of just doing the prayers, and if I was crying solidly whilst I was trying to sing, sing the bhajans, um, it helped me more than it did the, the other people that were there, but it just helped me process it. I think that's um, really interesting you touched on that because it was only just a few days ago I was having a conversation with my parents around, you know, we, why do we pray when for a certain period of time after someone passes away? And it was, again, it, 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 that's our way of healing together collectively. And, and you touched on, um, you know, 
don't you don't often see people doing prayers or you know these pudgeons for a certain period of time when it's a child um and I think that's something that actually like why why don't we there there must be something you know to explain that but we've never really questioned it so it's really interesting that you you kind of went against that grain and actually um you needed that I suppose you you and your family needed to do that um to help with that process yeah so I guess this leads on to the next question um in terms of what we're touching on is that our culture you know we're South Asians we have various different ways in which we identify with our culture and another mother story is all about exploring that you know really looking at this from a a lens where we want to critically challenge but also to celebrate our culture as well so really holding this sort of double double sided experience that we all have um my question is really around what's hindered what got in the way and what do you think actually helped you and you you almost sort of answered that in some ways but for your healing to occur or for your experience could you tell us a bit around anything culturally specific that you want to talk about when I have um, hinted at it in 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 the books that I write um, it's something that probably has made me be the way I am now um hindrance for me is that quite often um and from my experience it may be somebody has a totally different experience that I was it was always um it must have been my fault as a mother for my child to be sick for my child to not be not survive uh, you know I had things thrown at me such as I washed my hair when I shouldn't have. I ate the wrong food when I shouldn't have because when you're pregnant, you're only supposed to eat certain types of food. And being a vegetarian, working in news and current affairs, long shifts, 12-hour shifts, there's no way I couldn't have orange juice or eat bananas because that's that was my go-to drink lots of coffee. It was my go-to um, thing to have to keep you going. Um, so... Those are the things that are hint. Those are sort of. I'm. I'm not sure whether it's a traditional, but it's cultural. We've sort of done what we always do. Lots of people. What stuff that appears in our culture is there for a reason, and I can understand why it's there for a reason. But I also feel that we haven't changed with the times. You know, I'm sure getting a head cold is really bad for you as a pregnant woman. Maybe that's how why the hair washing wasn't a thing but you know I would never go out with my hair wet I would have used a hairdryer so it's a totally different thing for me being the other thing that was really quite difficult for me is I I was born on a Tuesday (laughs) for my (laughs) sins and apparently any girl who's born on a Tuesday um there's a thing they call munger which is really bad the planets are really strong they're very you know we're a bit stubborn and they can cause trouble so there was a lot of that where I had to kind of do, um, I was suggested, it was suggested I should do certain fast days to help me um, make my son better. I was told at one stage, somebody rang me randomly and said that I have to stop wearing red and do Fridays for a long period of time and my son would be 
open his eyes and he would be white as rain within that short period of time. So those are the hindrances because people tell you these things. I think they tell you, I'm never saying that it's not in a place of goodness. I think they all want to kind of give you hope, which is brilliant. However, that can also be a hindrance because what happens is that you, the guilt makes it really bad for you. Even as a couple, you're, you're, you're constantly feeling guilty about it. Um, but, you know, some of the traditions, as I said about the bhajans, I used to do, do a lot of reading from the Bhagavad Gita because that's how I've been brought up. Um, I used to do prayers for him. Uh, all of the things that were my rituals that I'd bro- had been brought up to do kind of came into place, whereas my husband is not a follower of any religion. Uh, he found it difficult because he couldn't, and he did allow me to do it, but he couldn't find anything, any respite in any of, the, any of the things that I would do. I mean, even when I... When we suggested the budgeons, he never sang any of them. He just sat there quietly, whereas I felt singing the budgeons helped me, helped lighten my soul. The other thing that's fantastic about our culture is people rally round. People, we're we're a really close knit family, and there are mm. people who are rocks. They will be there for you for everything and anything and then you know the shopping the cooking the you know the cleaning everything is done by somebody you don't actually have to worry about it you could actually really quite easily sit in the corner and not do anything and you would be fed whereas if you were in a a separate nuclear family that was from a different culture that would not happen you would have to try and feed yourself you'd have to try and do all the other things that you wanted to So, you know, I think our culture is brilliant in that sense to understanding. And the other thing that I think culturally for me that works really well, somebody was a friend of my mother's, um, a friend of my best friend's mother rang me and she said, only very special people have very special atmas that have a short time to live. And maybe that's why you two had your son, which was really kind of, for me, it was like, Oh, I get it, you know, because I do believe there's a certain amount of um, time that we have to spend on this earth. And I kind of that I've held on to that all the time. I still hold Mm -hmm. on to that. I still think that my son had only a very short time to live on this earth. And now he's moksha. He's somewhere in peace in heaven. And it's my way of uh, coping with it. I mean, he may have gone back into this cycle of birth and rebirth. But I think that was it. That was that short time that he owed, I owed him from a last life, as did my husband, as did everyone else that actually looked after him in that period of time. I'm not saying I did it on my own because, you know, I had friends who would say, right, go off, you two go off for a walk. We're having him, we're looking after him and, you know, go for a lunch, go out for a drink. Mm. I had lots of that as well. So um, I, I actually do believe in that. I mean, so, so there are things that I take on and keeps me going through my through my faith I think more than anything else that's really that's really nice to hear how you have almost constructed a relationship to your faith you've created that you've not Mm. you've not sort of blindly followed things you've you've used your own sense of connection to 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 God you know and that's that's when I think faith really 
lends itself. And, mm-hmm. you know, you touched on um, the community, the support network, and you're right. I think that Asian people are really hands-on and practical and they can get stuff done. And that's that's when I feel like that. that's when they feel like they're being useful. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, in the context of the idea of mothering, you know, you think that that's their way of mothering you. That's yeah. their way mm-hmm. of making sure you are looked after. But I think yeah. the other thing that you you sort of touched on is is that there's one aspect which is the emotional emotional expression of grief that sadly couldn't have been mothered. It wasn't it wasn't held. It wasn't it. There was no real place for that. That you felt that. In many ways, you had to force your way by using your faith to to allow you to do that. But actually, in a sort of community sense of what how other people viewed it, it was just very, very painful. And it was almost like I, I describe a hot potato scenario. You know, it's too hot. We can't we can't tolerate this because it's just too much. And I wonder whether that's that could be a reason why infant you know death is so painful and so difficult because. It, it's very raw. It's very, very raw, I think. And it makes us question about our spirituality or, or you know, humanity or even God. It makes us question that, you know, why? And, and that's quite hard to sit with. Mm-hmm. Uja, did you have anything that you wanted to kind of... Yeah, I think, Tina, what you just said about... <laughs> what you just said about... Um this idea that when we come together as a community that is yourself being mother in in sanskrit that's that, that term is matritva so the whole world is your child and and i think we do that really well in a practical lens um you know all these practical duties that you know when family rally around each other they just get it done but yeah i think i think we need to start creating a space for emotional conversations as well um, and, and for that to be explored because I don't, you know, although maybe our texts and our scriptures, etc., they they cover these things, but in, in modern world, we don't have time for it. <laughs> um, and that's a shame. And I think, you know, I think generations now are, are, are feeling that we actually need to create space and time for people to actually just talk to one another um, and, you know, explain what grief looks like or loss looks like or what it feels like. Uh, because we do everything else so well, um, we should now be kind of, I suppose, touching on on these aspects too. Um, yeah, that's that's kind of what I wanted to add add to that. almost like an evolution of our culture in many ways, which I think that, you know, there's many reasons why we get stuck and, you know, fall into rigid patterns of behavior. And that's often due to trauma. Um, But now we are, I think this generation is addressing that. And and Saza, I guess I'm curious, like you're seeing this evolution happen before your eyes, you know, as somebody who experienced this years ago, so what, what would you say to 
a, a South Asian couple who may have experienced loss now, infant loss in particular? I'm, I, I'm hoping things have changed and that your uh, younger people feel much more comfortable talking, and their relationship with their parents is very different to my relationship because what we have to think about is that you know my relationship with my parents they're busy they came over as immigrants they're trying to build up a lifestyle they want to kind of it's work 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 um whereas i'm i could quite easily be a mother of a 30 year old um and so i'm hopeful that somebody who is my age would be able to relate a little bit more to their son or daughter who's lost a child and find a way to be emotionally supportive however I think we also have um, trouble with saying even 30 year olds who've lost their child or had any form of grief they don't want to admit that they're in that position so until we actually begin to talk freely about the fact that there is grief and loss but there is joy there is all of our emotions should be shared equally um we tend not to share any of our what we classified as not very positive emotions we don't trying to bury that um what i would say to a couple who are going through a similar process is seek help there is people there are people now that are understanding of the grieving process from our cultural heritage our cultural background I mean I for one went through um, cognitive behavior therapy when I uh, had my panic attacks and the reason why I were it worked so much better for me and the fact that I then decided I'm going to write the book was she understood where I was coming from this time round when I started talking about the fact that I'd lost a child um, you know, I couldn't cope with the fact that I, I miss my dad so much. Every time I think of him, I cry. Um, they, she was great because she kind of went, yeah, I understand, because she knew what my family, culture, background was all about. Whereas the first time I had, we had behave, uh, grief therapy because um, the hospital were great in providing us that. Was that the lady had turned around and said you don't have to see that family member ever again. So that's the thing. I think I need to say to people, if you're going through this process, there is help out there. Seek it. And the thing is, yes, I know mental health is a problem and all of the mental health services is a problem in the sense that you only get a certain amount of sessions and then they go, yeah, that's it. I can only give you 10 or I can only give you five. You're finished. Well, you're not really finished. But seek other ways of discussing, talking about it you know, finding a way for you to release that grief. I write. Other people I know have done paintings. They do poetry. They, um, some of them just just do things like make things, crafts, anything that actually conveys where you are in your creativity is a really good thing to do. It's a way to kind of get yourself mm. out of that situation. Even if you keep a diary and you just write it all down and put it away, what you've done is at least taken some of it out. And that's what I say to everyone. And then the other thing I say to a couple is talk to each other because my main supporter is my husband and has been, um, We've had lots of other things that have happened to us, <laughs> but that is a totally different story about to do with health and um, everything else. 
but you need to either as a couple what you have to think about is that you are a couple because you're a partnership and you need to be each other's help mm -hmm. and guide regardless of whether you obsess about it and i think that's what 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 it's it's all about talk open mm -hmm. open tell everybody tell everyone i used to i used to say i have three sons and they'd be looking at me going there's only two here oh is your other one so much older and i'd go no actually no he's not with us and then it would i'd have to start raising a conversation about it but i talked about it all the time and it's through that i've also found out there are women of my age you know, I'm in my 60s, who haven't talked about the child that they've lost. I have a sister-in-law who lost a child just before we lost ours, and she hardly talks about him because she doesn't feel she needs to or she feels uncomfortable about it. So, you know, talk, talk, seek help. And sing. <laughs> you talked about virgins and singing, and I think there's some science behind singing yeah. and feel-good hormones. No, I think I think you're 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 onto something there. That you know that the understanding of culture is is hugely important when we're trying to help you know um, people who are going through various um, difficult situations because you can hold space for that. You know, and, and I don't know what your experience was like, Saz, but just knowing that somebody understands the nuances, the, the the intricate stuff that happens between families that often you can't you can't always explain, but you know it's there. You know, the the power dynamics that occur within you know Asian families, for example, that that's all there, and it's all stuff that often is unsaid and often left out of of the therapy room. So I'm really glad mm -hmm. that you had a positive experience because, you know, it should be that way. It definitely should be. And mm -hmm. therapy is one, one way, like you said, of addressing this. It's not the the quick fix or the be all and end all of healing. You know, you, you, you touched on so many different ways in which we can continue to heal. And, you know, grief, everyone talks about grief as if it is, it soon becomes kind of like part of your your life doesn't it and how you you just learn to integrate it into your world and you talked about it as if it's a cyclical thing and and I guess I'm just curious if to you know for people who have experienced grief or loss um what what is that like in terms of a, a long-term sort of trajectory like a, a narrative what's that like I mean, it's quite an interesting thing for me uh, because of the fact that um, all three of my children are born in January, which is really... So we had birthday celebrations and mm -hmm. of all three. Um, um, but, you know, all that celebratory aspect kind of diminishes the grief to some extent. But what I have learnt, um, and I've learnt to embrace it, is that there are times of the year when I actually do feel grief-stricken for no reason at all. It could be just a feeling, it could be something that triggers it, but instead of going, oh, no, no, don't be silly, push it away, push it away, I, embrace, I acknowledge that I'm sad. There is a reason why I'm sad. It's because of this, this, this. And I break it down and I take it and I actually then tell people, look, I'm not, I'm not available to go out tonight because I'm not really whereas before I used to make some kind of excuse 
before I used to say things like, oh, I've got to take X, Y, Z to, um, you know, a rugby match or football or whatever. I just make an excuse that, you know, oh, gosh, is not, you're going to be working late. So therefore I'll have to stay at home or anything just to, because I was not in the right place to socialize. But now I will just say, actually, I'm not going, I'm not in the right place to be of any use to you. Um, I'm staying at home. Um, that's one of the things that I've learned. And I think that's to do with just age more than anything else, probably, because I can't, I feel confident that I can turn around and say to somebody, nope, not doing that. Uh, which is also another thing that South Asians hardly ever do. <laughs> if somebody said to you, come in, can you go and do this, this, this? We go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we all like to say yes, we don't like to say no. So that's one thing. And then you just have to remember that grief isn't one of those things that has a time frame. You cannot say, because some people do. Some people recover after a few years and they're fine and it doesn't bother them as much and it doesn't affect them as much and they can look at the really beautiful aspects of somebody they've lost and they can remember those things very well. And some some of us only look at the fact that there's a missing hole in our heart. you know. And that's how we're all different people. I, I can't see mm. why one way of grieving should fit all and it's the same thing with this thing you were saying Puja, that we've discovered you know and we know that we have it in most communities we have a mourning period that goes on for a period of time where you reflect on the person's life you know is it 12 mm. days is it 13 days and then what after that you're kind of supposed to be all normal well that's not mm. real it's great that we can actually get together and do it as a group which is brilliant because you're actually supporting each other and there's a supporting process. Not so good when people say that, actually, we've done it, 13 days, that's it, I'm not going to even uh, think about. And, you know, you know, the anniversaries come up and then you don't think about it um, and you just ignore it, whereas, you know, every anniversary that comes along, we actually have a ritual that we've established that we actually do with with the boys and it's something that we, we've done. And then obviously for us, for Hindus, we have a, a special month. So you can actually think about all your ancestors. Mm. And that's quite, those things are very, mm. very, very nice. And I think, um, you know, anybody, every community in the South Asian diaspora does that. There is a there is a thing about remembering our ancestors. And there is a thing about celebrating death anniversaries, which works really well. Yeah. I don't see why we cannot celebrate the person that was there or remember them on the day that they passed away. It just makes, those are the things that you need to kind of think about. And it is part of your life cycle. It shouldn't be, I'm not going to think about that ever again. Even if you've lost a baby through miscarriage, I don't think you should stop. As a mother, I don't think you should because some you've, life has grown inside you. It's very difficult for a man to understand that. But when it that happens to a woman... It really changes how your outlook on everything is. And that's why I, I like to um, talk about what, I, what I've gone through. And that's why I want to do a lot more of this writing. Hopefully my books <laughs> will appeal to people. But that's the idea about it. I write short stories about it. I write, you know, books. I've written books about it. But it is just my way of dealing with it. But my way of telling other people that you're actually not alone. There are mm. probably a lot of us that hardly never discuss it. It's really powerful, isn't it? The 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 whole idea of storytelling and learning through other people's experiences. That's what touches us, you know, and that's why I think 
writers, people who are, are creatives do such a good job at, at touching our soul, you know, our hearts um, and help us to feel less alone. Thank you so much, Saz. I guess mm-hmm. this is just an opportunity really just for to find, well, to ask you, where can people find you? Where could people follow you? Where can people find the work that you do? Tell us a bit about that. Right, so um, I my books are available on Waterstones, Amazon, uh, Bookshop.org, which are independent bookshops. Um, they're available as paperback, but they're also available as ebooks. So on all platforms, Apple, Google, uh, Rakuten, Kobo, everywhere. Um, if you want to find out a lot more about me, a bit more about me, I do a blog um, um, regularly and some of it is about how I'm feeling at the time um, and that's at sazvora.com, one word. Um, I'm also on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook as Sazvora. I also am part on two, two um, boards, charity boards. I'm on part of the UK Asian Film Festival where I encourage people to make stories, you know, film a story, write it, submit it. That's the idea. Um, and it is about opening up diaspora stories. And I also raise money um, through um, the Asian Circle. Um, and what we do is we help women in the in the continent, but also here. So that's India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, Nepal, Sri Lanka. Have I missed something? Bhutan. Um, mm-hmm. We actually help women through fundraising here. Most of us are from here, um, but we also help other charities. So that's that's me in a sort of a nutshell, really. That's wonderful. Thank you so much, Saz. It's been an absolute pleasure to hear from you and to learn about your powerful work that you do. Um, and if anybody does want to get in touch, um, there is the links in the show notes. So do find do check Saz out on the various platforms that you can find her. So thank you very much for listening and we'll be in your ears again soon. Thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode of Another Mother's Story podcast. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please drop us a review and don't forget to subscribe. We appreciate any love from you on our social media channels. Find us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. All links and ways to contact us can be found in the show notes. Oh, and don't forget to sign up to our newsletter where we will give you exclusive access to our events and news. (laughs) 